I am the doctor. Oh, I don't watch GMTV. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm the, uh, the doctor in the TARDIS. Yes, uh, but I travel through space and time. Oh. I've seen you, uh, I've seen you in the year 2010. Oh. You're still on television. Am I? <laughs> oh, am I doing serious programs? No, I said I travel through space and time. I don't visit Fantasy Island. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I heard it was thick. I thought they were talking about his waist. This is great. We've been looking forward to seeing you in, in your new adventure, Dimensions in Time. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Yes. I'm, I'm in it, you know, with all the other doctors uh -huh. and a lot of my wonderful companions. Uh -huh. Great. You'll need a pair of these. Oh, will I? These are the new 3D specs that oh, you've got to wear so for this. And all the villagers from Crinkly Bottom, put your specs on, please. There they go. Right, I hope you've got your specs ready. Don't let the sight of them put you off. We've got a fantastic Doctor Who adventure. Dimensions in time. And remember, you can influence the outcome. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, uh, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, I'm Scott. Hello, Scott. This week, we are looking at a very special episode of Doctor Who uh, called Dimensions in Time, which aired in 1993 for children in need and was part of the... 30th anniversary for Doctor Who, wasn't it? Yes, it's it's almost... Yes. We're approaching the 30th anniversary of the 30th anniversary. How meta does oh that get? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I hope they recreate this shot for shot. Uh, but Dimensions <laughs> in Time first aired on the 26th of November 1993, which was a staggering 29 years, 3 months and 16 days ago at the time of me writing these notes, I think. Yeah, that's today. I wrote these notes today. So, uh, today... <laughs> That's the day of recording, which is the 12th of March, uh, and it was a Friday. Uh, at the time, the US president was one Bill Clinton, famous saxophonist, and the UK prime minister was Sir John Major, famous for never playing the saxophone. Uh, there was... <laughs> sorry, made myself laugh. There was nothing... <laughs> Uh, nothing like major news wise that happened on this day except for like somebody's like secretary or something got married for the president or something like that it was really boring news but i do have the number one and the number two of the u.s box office scott and i would love if you could guess what they were 1993, 93. I know. cast your mind back cast your mind back to I, november I, 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 1993 I Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, even though it wasn't directed by Tim Burton, it was directed by Henry Selleck, was released mm -hmm. around this time. Mm -hmm. Am I close? You are close in that you've absolutely nailed number two. Number oh, no. two is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Number but what's two. number one? Number what one. is beating The Nightmare Before God, Christmas? What came out in Jurassic Park, Demolition Man. Mm, Demolition um, Man was like number seven. Oh God! <laughs> Number one, nineteen ninety-three, November twenty-second, nineteen ninety. It's, it's oh. not going to be a movie you expect. Ah. Uh, uh, ah. <laughs> uh, the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> no, that would be mental. <laughs> um, but unexpected. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Give me a hint. 
there was a TV show, the future starring starring Peter Capaldi that Peter came Capaldi. out not not too long ago with the same title, The Devil's Hour. Nope. No. By not too long ago, I mean like six years. Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter Capaldi. Um, the fake of it? Uh, no, there no. was um, there's a Kingdom Hearts world, or not so much a yeah. There is a Kingdom Hearts world in Dream Drop Distance. Aladdin. No, no. Do you want? Do you want? Do you give up? <laughs> yeah, I give up. It's the Three Musketeers. Ah. Oh. And you right, get, you okay, the three musketeers, clues. yeah. Yeah, do, do all my clues work now, you know? Yeah. The, the Peter Capaldi musketeers show? Like, yeah, that's a show uh, Peter know? Capaldi did before Doctor Who, not six yes. years ago, so that was like I, I, ten years Peter ago Capaldi, What do you mean? Peter Capaldi was the Doctor last year. Wait, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think it's a movie I've ever seen. It looks garbage, but it was produced... It? Uh, oh god, who was in it? I don't think anybody huge. Is Antonio... Uh, no, I'm thinking of Mask of Zorro. Yeah, you're thinking of Zorro, which is way better. I've not seen uh, Kiefer, Kiefer's, Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen and Chris oh god, O'Donnell and Tim Curry. And <laughs> Tim Curry? <laughs> what, an no, uh, what an amazing cast. Tim Curry is it's an got, automatic cell. It's got... It's got Tim Curry, it's got the Human Torch, it's got Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland in it. <laughs> and it's got a solid 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I I bet you if I watch the Tim Curry scenes on YouTube, I'll have a blast. Its starry trio of do-gooders may promise to fight one for all and all for one, but this Three Musketeers is a slickly unmemorable update bound to satisfy very few. Oh, speaking Fantastic. of Tim Curry, though, Tim Curry ties into the number one song, technically. Number one song in this yeah. day in history. Um, the the singer of this song co-starred with Tim Curry in a movie. Oh. Okay. I don't know Tim Curry movies very well off the top of my head. Um, The singer of this song would be singing about Saturday nights. Oh! Oh, I don't. I, is it Meatloaf? That's the only thing I yep. can think Meatloaf, of. Meatloaf, Meatloaf. Yeah, uh, Meatloaf. I would do anything for love. Was number one on this day in history. Hey, nice. But you do anything you... for love, but you won't do that. You won't do that. What <laughs> is that? You know... It's anal sex. He won't but do, do anal sex. What... That's... <laughs> 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 great music video. Great song. Rest in peace, Meatloaf. Fuck, great great singer um yeah great singer doesn't make music that i listen to but i uh, can appreciate <clears throat> talent when i see it but do you know what song was released on this day in history and it ties into this episode of dimensions in time T- technically <laughs> do you, can you have any guesses what song was released on this day in history that ties into dimensions in time is that what you've asked me yes okay what song was released on this day in history that ties in? Think about who introduces the episode. Okay. 
Noel, whatever his name. Yes. And on Noel's okay. house party, who was a okay. character? I've never seen Noel's house party. Uh, but you know the character. Of it. You know the and character who appeared in Noel's house party because we featured awesome. him on Mr. the Blobby? Yes. Mr. Blobby? Yes. Mr. Blobby? Yeah. <laughs> and here is a clip of Mr. Blobby knocking over John Barrowman. <laughs> Oh, oh no! <laughs> See, I told you I needed to be protected! I'm gonna get him! Uh, yeah, Mr. Blobby was released on this day in history, peaked at number one in the charts on the 11th of December 1993, went down the week after, and then became the number one song over the Christmas week. An MTV critic said that Blobby tried to kill music with what might be the worst song of all time. <laughs> Amazing. You know what's mental? Mr. Yes. Blobby has been back on TV so recently, like frequently. I've seen him multiple times on TV recently. Yeah, <laughs> he, he recently did that. Um, well, he, Basil Brush released a Christmas mm-hmm. single last Christmas uh, with a bunch of other puppet characters, and Mr. Blobby was featured in that. I remember as a kid seeing him on the Is This the Way to Amarillo music video. Mm. Mr. Blobby is in that right after Jimmy Savile. So, like, two monsters oh, in a row. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, is this the way that Amarillo has, just, like, unlocked childhood memories? That song was everywhere. Like, But yeah, Mr. Blobby, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> he is. He's, he's, he's like, how could something be that sexy? It's so scary. Uh, but, <laughs> but other cool things that happened on the 26th of November in 1865, Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll is published in America. Cool book, you should read it. In 1922, English archaeologist Howard Carter opens Tutankhamun's virtually intact tomb in Egypt. Uh, and also, on the same year, on the same day in 1922, the first ever successful Technicolor movie, The Toll of the Sea, premieres at the Rialto Theatre in New York City. So as somebody's breaking into Tutankhamun's uh, tomb, they're playing a movie in colour for the first time, which is very cool. Uh, then, uh, in 1942, Casablanca, directed by Michael Curtis and starring Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, premieres at Hollywood Theatre in New York City and wins the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1943. Have you ever seen Casablanca? I've seen, like, mm. clips of it, but I've never actually watched it. Yeah, I've seen all the iconic clips and parodies yeah. of it, but I haven't seen the actual yeah. thing itself. It's one of those movies, is like, one of the most iconic yeah. movies ever. Um, yeah. but you speaking of um, Alice in Wonderland reminded me of at one time, like early on in the podcast, where we found out a movie called Alice in Wonderland was yeah, like the number one movie. at the box office. Yeah, it was a porn movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, the porn movie from the seventies. That was just Alice in Wonderland porn parody. What a wild time the seventies were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's all I've got for the On This Day segment for uh, yeah. 1993. So why don't you take us into your extremely long, no doubt, writer's yep. corner with <laughs> Dimensions in Time. Uh, so this was written by John Nathan Turner and David Roden, and we will talk about John Nathan Turner in the future because he was obviously the producer of the show for like 10 years, and there is a lot of history to go over this very controversial figure of Doctor Who. Well, I don't know when I'll cover it, but it'll be a while. <laughs> um... David Roden was the first ever professional... This was his first ever professional script on Doctor Who, or entirely on his own. It's his first ever professional script. 
Um, his other Doctor Who works include a, he wrote a short story in 1995, Doctor Who Yearbook. He wrote a short story in 2007 about Martha Jones, and he wrote an audiobook in the same year too. Um, so not a lot of Doctor Who work. This is his first Doctor Who work. He also worked in a lot of soaps like Casualty, EastEnders, Holby City, and Coronation Street. He worked his way up from script editor to producer and finally director, but in 2019 he changed his career path and now works for a tribe culture change, which focuses on creating a long-term cultural change in safety and employee mental health. So he's produced a variety of films such as uh, one about suicide prevention, and obviously his work became a lot more prominent during the pandemic in terms of helping people for mental health, so seems like a cool dude. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So for this writing of segment, I thought it would be a good idea to chronicle the up and ups and downs that Doctor Who fans went through before Dimensions in Time was made to give context to how exciting the short special probably was to people in 1993. Um. So we 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 start off in November 1988, the 25th anniversary, and Doctor Who gets renewed for their 26th season which is earlier than expected, uh, which made people very optimistic about the future of the show because, you know, an early renewal is usually very promising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, around this time, John Nathan Turner also announces he is returning for the new series, despite saying he was going to be leaving earlier. Uh, the thing about John Nathan Turner is he was going to leave at multiple points, but the BBC was basically like, we can't find any other script uh, we can't find any other producers to cover you so you have to stay on because otherwise we might just scrap the show entirely so he was trying to save Jesus. Doctor Who for years like I think yeah. his earliest point of trying to leave the show was after the 20th anniversary so he stayed on for like 7 years longer which is a very controversial figure but he loved Doctor Who and obviously wanted to try and save it as much as possible yeah, it's commendable. It, I can't. Can you imagine the stress, like, of loving a show so much, but being in charge of it, and knowing that you don't want to be in charge of it anymore, but also knowing that if you leave, the show that you love will mm. die. You know, like, it's brutal, yeah. and you're getting like blasted by the fans like, every single like turn. Like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, just recently went through that with Chibnall. I feel so sorry for yeah. Chris Chibnall. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to March 1989 and rumours start circulating that Doctor Who may be cancelled. The BBC were aiming to have 25% of its programmes made outside of the UK, so many dramas were under scrutiny. Doctor Who magazine says that the reports had no foundation, but several companies had expressed on producing the show independently from the BBC, so Doctor Who might be in safe hands at this point in history. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, Terry Nation, Jerry Davis, uh, Terry Nation, obviously creator of the Daleks, Jerry Davis, creator of the Cybermen and Verity Newman, who start, who was the first ever showrunner of Doctor Who. Uh, they also produced, they also bidded to produce the show with multiple US companies taking interest. So it's Doctor Who how has a bright future. Repeated it. It's interesting <laughs> uh, how much history has repeated itself, isn't it? Yeah. With yeah outside US companies taking an interest in wanting to produce Doctor Who because the BBC can't afford to do it anymore. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad how history keeps on repeating itself. Hopefully we're not in this scenario again in the future. Where it gets cancelled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we're with Disney for a while and they don't have too much of a creative input. They just, you know, send occasional notes just, to they Russell. Just, they, just, they just send the paycheck. They don't. They just send the yeah. paycheck and they, they don't even watch it. <laughs> uh, so in April 1989, Sylvester McCoy agrees to stay on as a doctor if the show gets renewed for season 27, with Sophia Aldred also saying she'd love to stay on too. So again, Sylvester McCoy is returning for season 27, apparently. In June 1989, it's finally confirmed that a theatrical Doctor Who movie would shoot in early 1990, with the producers citing the success of Tim Burton's Batman as a reason to be optimistic that the movie will be made. The movie was that's never made. That's an interesting movie to take. I know. <laughs> Batman. Batman. Oh, yeah, we, we'll definitely be able to make our sci-fi time travel movie. They made Batman. Yeah. Um, obviously, completely different <laughs> genres, but if you think about Batman, American audiences would have known Batman as a campy 1960s TV yeah. show. So I guess yeah, that's the, a comparison there. Gritty. Yeah. But were they planning on making the movie gritty and dark? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, in September 1989, season 26 starts airing on Wednesday's nights with a direct competition being Coronation Street for the third year in a row. Uh, the future of the series still remains uncertain at this point, especially when the opening episode gets 3.1 million viewers versus Coronation Street, which got 11.3 million viewers. <laughs> so, <laughs> the BBC pitting against... Coronation Street, bad idea. <laughs> yep. Um, in Ept- soaps. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. It's the same fucking same, thing every fucking it. day. It's the most boring TV ever made. <laughs> God, imagine if we watched an episode of a soap drama that crossed over with Doctor Who. Could you imagine? That would be crazy. That would be crazy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how that would work. I'm, I'm at, like, I, I think the only way that could work is if it was in 3D. <laughs> Imagine seeing Pat Butcher in 3D, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, in October 1989, Peter Cregan, head of BBC drama series, said that Doctor Who has lasted 26 years and I can't see any reason why it shouldn't continue. At the same time, the tabloids are, re- are printing articles about the show is facing cancellation. So for once, the tabloids are correct and the BBC are lying, as usual. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. On the 23rd of November 1989, four years before his charity special releases, Sylvester McCoy records his final ever line of classic Who through ADR uh, because the show was the future of the show was still uncertain at this time, but the producers basically knew that this was probably the end. So, yeah, so that was the final ever line uh, recorded on the 26th anniversary of the show, which is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what the line was? Uh, um, yeah, it was the very last line of survival. We'll put it here, but it's something about the doctor being like, um, we're off to face more adventures. There's always a cup of tea to be made. I'm butchering the line, <laughs> but it's an Brilliant. iconic just line. It's he, a great just line. Just how he delivers it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Ace, there's more exploring to do or something like that. There are worlds out there where the sky's burning, where the seas asleep and the rivers dream. People made of smoke and cities made of song. Some of there's danger, some of there's injustice, and somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace, we've got work to do. 
Uh, so we cut to 1990 now and the BBC still haven't made a decision on the future of the show but John Nathan Turner was optimistic that season 23 sorry season 27 would air in 1999 early 1999 although it was looking like Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred wouldn't would actually be leaving at this point obviously we're actors and we need to go on to more projects we can't be tied down to a show that might not be made in the future mm-hmm. yeah um, it looked it looked like the BBC were considering finding a new format for the show for the 1990s, with Peter Cragen saying, uh, there will be more changes than people think. One of the format changes considered was that the show should have 15-minute complete episodes format, like Star Trek, which of course became the format of a show in 2005. So they were, they were thinking of giving the Doctor Who a new format in the 90s, which would have really worked, in my opinion. Definitely. would have definitely really worked. Absolutely. Uh, the BBC told the public that news would be announced by the end of July, but nothing came from that. In August, John Nathan Turner officially leaves the BBC, meaning that the show, if the show were to come back, we'd have to find a new producer, which gives them more reason to not renew the show, because finding a new producer is such a fucking hassle. <laughs> As if the BBC needed more reason to, you know, not cancel the show. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's been a year at this point. And we've just been like, yeah, we're going to announce the future of a show eventually, I guess. Could you <laughs> imagine just sitting there as the Doctor Who fan being like, is my show going to return? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's what the Orville is going through at the moment. The last season aired, like... I think this last season ended in August and we haven't heard anything about if there's going to be a season four. And it's a nightmare oh, wow. just trying to wait. I, The last season was a fucking amazing, man. Yeah, so I heard. Too bad I'll never watch it. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> um, sources within the BBC start saying, expect a renewal, a renewal on announcement by September. But September comes and goes without any mention of a show being renewed or cancelled. And this is, this, again, it's just going to repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> Expect something. <laughs> um, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society soon began to campaign for the return of the show in the hopes of pressuring the BBC into making an announcement. Is this a uh, Doctor like, in Distress? Um, they might Doctor have been involved with Doctor in Distress. Distress. Uh, but Doctor in Distress was in 1986 after the show ah, went right, on like yeah, an 18 yeah. month hiatus with Colin Baker's second season, so... Yeah. That might have been part of it. I think Ian Levine, who wrote that song, was the head of the Appreciation Society for a while. Uh, but the BBC is like, uh, nah, we're good, thanks. Uh, we might make an announcement in April, but I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, so 996 people call the BBC on the day of action in late November, which is 996 people. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, while all this is going on, the production company behind the film keeps saying the movie will be made, which it never did. Uh, Yeah, just 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 waiting for either a movie to be made or a TV series to come back, and you keep hearing, "Oh yeah, it's going to come back. A movie's going to be made as well." (laughs) You just get nothing. (laughs) Constantly teased, just constantly teased. In early 1991, Doctor Who fans begin sending the BBC checks in the attempts to fund for a new series, but the BBC returns all of them with notes saying, We still haven't made up our minds. Uh, the BBC received £7,500 no, £7, in checks. 
Well, I mean, that's bigger than most of Classic Who's budget put together, so... You know? True. <laughs> I could find an entire four-part story. <laughs> in May 1991, the BBC finally announced that the next series will be independently produced, a year and a half after the last episode aired. But the show would still be in limbo until we had found a company to produce it. The TV movie would obviously be made five years later. We we discovered we discussed the TV movie like two years ago at this point. God, best Great movie. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic movie. It's one of our I think it's still our longest episode. It's pushing five hours, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh in runtime. It is it is a lot. But I think we have a really, really good discussion about that movie and how it is uh, underrated gem because it's got a reputation as being bad and yeah. being like a B movie and whatnot and Ed parts of it sure yeah but I think there's so much to love in that Doctor Who movie it's, I absolutely adore it absolutely adore it you should absolutely listen to that episode if you have not one of our earliest episodes so the audio for Scott's ends not yeah. superb but deal with it <laughs> deal with it you nerd deal with it yeah, and yeah, one of our longest episodes as well. Just, yeah, great movie, great pilot. I wish it went mm-hmm. for more, but, you know, we still have Paul McGann at least. Yeah. Um, a few months later, a BBC announces that Doctor Who's independent production would begin in 1992. Obviously, no- nothing ever happened from that, so. Uh, by July, rumours begin to grow, um, saying that two brand new adventures have already already been shot with a stage actor named David Burton playing the role of the Doctor. Um, in reality, David Burton just wanted attention and just pretended he had <laughs> just been cast. Amazing. So, yeah, he kept on telling people, oh yeah, I've, I've shot two episodes of Doctor Who. I'm the eighth Doctor. What's his endgame with that? Like, when... What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, when the episode's... And obviously never get come out. Like, oh yeah, I lied. You got me. And you know, John Nathan, John Nathan Turner at the time was like, why would they shoot two episodes and not tell anyone what the show has been made? You don't shoot two episodes to make a pilot. It doesn't make any sense. And it's it's way too soon for a pilot to be shot. It doesn't make any sense. So (laughs) yeah, David Burton is just a fucking liar, man. (laughs) What an interesting man. I wonder what was going through his head. (laughs) <laughs> uh, by October 1991 fans consider suing the BBC for 30 million dollars sorry pounds for fraudulent misrepresentation of license fee payers monies uh, the, the 30 million was considered roughly the budget of three seasons fans had lost out on since the show had stopped production um, they planned on um, raising this money by basically selling their toys of oh, Doctor wow. Who figurines <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> So yeah, I, just a bunch of nerds upset that Doctor E wasn't being made and just selling yep. their toys. Yep, that's a class. That's th- those are some cool people. I bet. I bet really <laughs> Can you good. imagine trying to sue the BBC? To sue make the more BBC to make more Doctor Who. I can imagine that. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a good idea. Actually, I think we should do that more. <laughs> um, by December 1991 new rumours circulated that an American production company was trying to get the rights to Doctor Who to make X-rated versions of the series <laughs> starring Rutger Hauer <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know there's um, I don't know if you've ever seen there's a very famous Doctor Who X-rated parody <laughs> Doctor Screw <laughs> 
I don't remember what it's I don't remember what it's called, but I think it was made by Wood Rocket, who are a production mm. company that make yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of weird parodies. Uh, they, they like their parodies always end up like going viral. The adverts for them always end up going viral when they come out because they look insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there, seen, there's. I've seen most of her SpongeBob parody. It's awful. <laughs> I've, I've, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to ask why you've seen most of it. Uh, <laughs> like, um, the cinema snob used to be associated with um, Doug Walker, the nostalgia critic, yeah. and he refused these porn rip-off movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I've seen clips of the ET rip-off movie. <laughs> Brilliant. I. I have not. I. I would never got into cinema snob. Uh, I. I just never vibed with his his video formats always more of a nostalgia critic dude mm, fair <laughs> um in early 1992 the bbc tries to shut up the doctor who nerds by showing repeats of doctor who starting with the time meddler which we just discussed a few months ago great episode yes very good episode indeed uh nothing much else happened in 1992 so we cut to 1993 and there's a fairly big announcement that the bbc enterprises were beginning on we're planning on making a direct-to-video Doctor Who movie for the show's 30th anniversary. Um, the villain of the story would have stopped the regeneration of the fourth, fourth Doctor by saving his life, and he would manipulate Earth's politics so that most humans would end up becoming wiped out. He would also have an army of famous Doctor Who villains, including the brand new looking Cybermen, who have claws on their knuckles like Wolverine from the X-Men, <laughs> and the Cybermen... And the Cybermen were going to be made by Jim Henson's workshop. Okay, that bit sounds cool. Jim Henson, send you... Jim Henson Cybermen sounds cool, but Wolverine Cybermen sounds really silly. I'm going to send you an image of the Cyberman. That's kind of terrifying. I kind of dig it. <laughs> it although, right, like, I like the head. I don't know why it has abs, and I don't know why it's got a belt. <laughs> Like the head, the head is cool. I really like the head. The yeah. head's like straight up like a horror. Like it looks like a horror thing. Like it's like this like skeleton. Like it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I really like that. There's there's an image up on screen on YouTube. If you're listening to the audio form, imagine a skeleton with a cyborg cy- cyberman ears. Um, it looks cool. But also the the body dumb. The body is the most like the most nineties yeah. looking <laughs> thing. Oh my god! You know what it reminds me of? Oh my god! What? Oh my god! What's it called? What's it called? Steel. Yes! Yes! Steel! 1997. I don't know the character you're talking about, but... Steel. Yes. Yes. The suit reminds me of that. Hang on. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm images now, yeah. <laughs> stick an image of, of Steel up on, on the screen next to the Cyberman. Same character. Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, the main characters of... Uh, Dark Dimension would have been the Fourth Doctor, the Brigadier, and Ace, alongside minor appearances from the other surviving Doctors and a lot more companions. Um, basically, I heard that um, John Pertwee and Colin Baker were unhappy that they had minor roles, but they were just happy to appear in anything Doctor Who related, you know. They're yeah. big fans of Doctor Who and just want to Doctor Who to live on, basically, which is... Uh, David Bowie and Tame, uh, Tom Waits were considered to be cast in roles in this thing, apparently. That'd be Could metal. you imagine David Bowie and Doctor Who? I'd, I'd love ace. it. I'd love it. Oh, yeah, I'd love it. 
Uh, the movie sadly got cancelled due to uh, due to financial issues, uh, but fans have adapted the story into an animation and audio drama, so we could potentially look into the story sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that'd be fun to go into it eventually. I don't know when we have time. Yeah, but... <laughs> don't know, don't know when, but I bet it's not good. I bet it's not good. <laughs> My question is, how do we fit standards into it? <laughs> yeah, that's the most important point. Like, how does Doctor, how how could Doctor Who even exist without standards? You know. So yes, we are finally on to dimensions in time. Uh, John Nathan Turner was pr- approached by Children in Need to make the special in the summer of 1993, and they wanted the sketch to be made in 3D for BBC's 3D Week. Uh, the 3D Week wasn't that successful, apparently. There was like half an hour of content made for 3D at most. Um, so basically, how the 3D worked was that the 3D glasses would have one eye darker than the other, and the idea was that your brain can't process the darker image quick enough so it's like a five second delay or something like that and the two and you're basically seeing two images walk so if a person is walking from left of the screen to the right of the screen your your left eye would be seeing the person five seconds later than the right eye and your brain kind of merges the two images together to create a 3d image or something like that i don't know exactly if that makes sense it's like an optical illusion glasses but what yeah i i'd be really interested in one finding out what people thought about it like how much did it actually work because like i remember 3d like the paper 3d glasses you used to get cinemas and they sucked they like didn't they were awful uh, and two, I would really like to try it out. I would really like to get a pair of those 1993 mm-hmm. 3D glasses, and I would like to watch this special and see it in glorious 3D. I think that would be very fun. Uh, and three, yeah. why in 1993 did the BBC think that they could pull off 3D? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the BBC did a, part, a lot of these like gimmick weeks, apparently. I'm not sure why they tried to tart, but you know, you can sell... You can sell these for like five pounds for each glasses, and that goes to children in need. So, yeah, there's 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 a fundraising element to it here. Um, as for how the 3D looked, apparently, like according to Nicholas Courtney, who was in a special for like two seconds, uh, <laughs> some bits looked looked like they were 3D, but it, it, the overall effect was not good. Um, the, the whole reason why the camera is spinning around in every shot is because we have to keep movement for the 3D to work so that's why you feel seasick at times during the entire I, special I, I really liked the camera movement uh, I'll talk about it more in the episode but it was my it's, it's like the one thing I actually liked in this episode <laughs> Uh, so Mr. Blobby's daddy, Noel Edmonds, wanted to be involved in the 3D week too, so that's why Dimensions was split into two parts, one shown in Children in Need, and then the second part was shown the following night on Noel's house party. So on Children in Need, we basically cut to Noel Edmonds, and we'll get into what he does. He falls down the stairs, it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure is. we both laughed as he tripped the stairs. I laughed so hard when he almost <laughs> fell over, and then, and then he said a Doctor Who joke. Great. <laughs> um, and so we cut to Mike Tucker, who was contacted in late August 1993, and he was uh, he was a visual effects assistant between 1985 and 1989 on the show. He then became the model unit supervisor on the seasons one and two of the Russell T. Davis era. He did a few Moffat era episodes. He won a BAFTA for his work of David the Doctor, 
which is another 3D anniversary special. Yeah. It, it was released in 2013, and parts of this episode is also released in 2013. Coincidence? That's, I think yeah. not. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, as for the 3D on Day of the Doctor, the 3D was really fucking good on Day of the Doctor. I never saw it. I didn't get to see it in cinemas. I only saw it at home, so I did not see it in 3D. Uh, wish I did. Wish I did. <laughs> uh, so Mike Tucker is going to come back this year for some of the anniversary specials, so it's funny how he always gets involved with the anniversary, apparently. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dimensions was Mike's first time as a fully-fledged visual effects designer, and there is some interesting visual effects designs in this episode. <laughs> yeah, there, there is, there is. That's certainly one way of describing them. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, so Mike only had like a few weeks to prepare for this special. So uh, there's obviously no budget. This is children in need. They've, they they aren't making a profit off of this. This is all for charity. This is why the episode hasn't actually been released because everyone signed on to it under the condition that it wouldn't be made publicly on video because obviously they would have to pay fees for them and so that's why that's why that's why everybody agreed to it basically to work for free on this and there's a lot of fucking action or actors in this mm-hmm. there is a lot of people in this and i only recognize like besides the doctor who cast who i recognize i only yeah. recognize one person from eastenders <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the Doctor Who cast are hard to recognize because it's been like yeah, it's been a while. Five years for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um. So why is he standers in this? Um. Sources differ. Wikipedia says Children in Need asked for a crossover, but John Nathan Turner said it was his idea. Uh, I'm not sure who to believe, but I I I feel like I believe John Nathan Turner's side of it. I feel like he was an Eastenders fan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, you know, I I can see it being both of their idea, or like they both like somebody brought it up in a meeting, and both of them just were like, "Yeah, that's a great idea." And nobody had any pushback to it, so they both figured it was their idea. You know, <laughs> like everybody was just fully on board with the Eastenders idea. Oh god, but you could you imagine being a fan of Doctor Who? And the show gets cancelled and BBC are like, yeah, we're still making more episodes though. And then like four years later, this gets made and it's a, it's a, it's a crossover with EastEnders. Would I'd you be, feel disappointed? I'd be so upset. I'd honestly be so upset. <laughs> like, Yeah, so would I. Um, uh, John Nathan Turner wanted as many actors as possible. So Randy, Witch, Randy Richard, who played Pauline on EastEnders... I think I know which one she is. She's one of the ladies who says, 2013! Right, okay. <laughs> uh, so Pauline Richards went around and convinced as many people on the EastEnders cast as possible to join in the show. 34 people were cast, and 32 of them were also working other gigs at the time, so shooting schedule was a nightmare for this. Oh my god. Uh, you, yeah, you and I have done, like, no budget movies before yeah in like in like college or you still do mm-hmm. no budget movies but yeah it's like it, yeah. it's a nightmare trying to get people together organizing more than one person to do something the worst thing in the world absolutely it's God. like impo- everybody's busy doing other things and nobody makes time to do the one thing it's awful you know it's like or God. if you've even if you've ever tried playing dungeons and dragons you know, like, you can get one <laughs> game in, you can play one session of Dungeons & Dragons, and then mm. you don't play for six months because nobody's schedule lines up. <laughs> when COVID shut down the world, my first thought was, 
fuck yes, I am so happy about this. Because <laughs> I was in the process of trying to get people together for a university film. Mm. And so I was so happy that I didn't have to go through this trouble anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a fucking nightmare to figure it out. It was like... This one guy could only do weekends and this girl could only do weekdays. And it was like, I have to get you two together on the same set. How? how? Yeah, I I hate trying to schedule out people's things. It's so much like uh, when I was making my college film Rogue Cop available at youtube.com slash at mess YouTube. If you want to watch it, it's very good. Uh, Like I got lucky enough that i managed to schedule everybody pretty well because i was just i blocked out like four five days of of uh filming uh and i got everybody to send me the list of when they were available and then i pulled up an excel sheet and i i I, like properly like worked out everything for like who can film when for how long and then like you have to run like you have to run then on set that you have to make sure you're not running over you have to make sure people arrive on time and it's it's genuinely a nightmare but yeah. like Road Cop is the best scheduling for a set I've ever done in my life and I've never been able to repeat it. Nothing has ever lined up <laughs> so well for me as it did with that movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it is so difficult to get people when they have full-time jobs, you know? Yeah. It's so difficult to schedule this podcast sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it can be a nightmare. It's it's also hard and, you know, it's it's hard when you're doing something so low budget that you have no money because you can't, like money's an incentive mm-hmm. for people people will happily call in sick to work or work on the weekend if you're offering them money because then they're yeah. like oh cool i'm getting something out of it if you're like hey do me a favor give me 12 hours off your life <laughs> you know but people are not so keen then god when i made my we'll talk we'll stop talking about college eventually but when i made my college movie i'll shoot this as quickly as possible because i feel so guilty about this poor woman i i I, i'm casting because i don't want her to be there too long (laughs) so i i I was like i've did one takes (laughs) really oh my god no i always do i always do at least three takes yeah always always at least that's you know i i more lean to the kubrick way than the cleese the eastwood way you know i want to i want to make sure we've got backups just in case (laughs) uh you heard it here first uh matthew abuses his stars yeah makes him i i I, I fire causes him mental breakdowns over and over and over (laughs) again yeah 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 i but at the also I'm the world's best director. So, like... <laughs> um, so an alternate title of this um, story would have been Three Dimensions in Time, but John Nathan Turner was talked out of it by David Roden. I can see where he's coming from, Three Dimensions in Time. I think Dimensions in Time is less on the nose. I think Three Dimensions on Time is a better title, and I wish it was called that. Because this this program being in 3D came as a huge shock to me. It being called Three Dimensions in Time would have been amazing, and I really wish it was called that. I, that's you know, it's 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 on the no- it's oh on the nose, but it's it's like subtle enough that if you yeah. didn't know it was in three D, you could get away with it. It's like you know, Dream Drop Distance, Kingdom Hearts is coming back, you know, because it was made for the three DS. Dream Drop Distance, you got three Ds in your DS, like just great, yeah, just great, great <laughs> titling. <laughs> I've I've explained that fact to you like three yeah. times by now. I'm like, did you know? Did you know? <laughs> Do you get the title flow? Do you get the title? Yeah, it's the only good thing. Uh, in but that also, game. three dimensions in time works. <laughs> 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 uh, 
three dimensions in time also works because we're, diff- we're visiting three different time periods. You know, 1973, yeah. 1993, and 2013. The far off future is 2013. It, I, what were the years? It was, 19, it was every 20 years, wasn't it? 73, 93, and, and 2000. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I don't know why they didn't make it 30 years for the 30th anniversary. You know, 1963, 1993, yeah. 2023. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know why they didn't. That would have made. That would have been like cute. That would have been like a cute thing to do. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so the alternative draft of this, uh, Rodin's original draft featured the 7th Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, meeting the Brigadier en route to Unit Reunion, and then becoming involved with a battle with a crashed spaceship full of Cybermen, but this draft got dropped, I think, because of the budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's much easier to film on the set of EastEnders yeah. and have a bunch of monsters wander around there. Yeah, just grab a bunch of costumes from the warehouse, stick them on some people, and go like, ah, just wander around, yeah. sorted. Like, <laughs> uh, we're saving a sea devil at one point. Our favorite. Absolutely, villain. best one ever made. <laughs> um, Janet Fielden, who played Tegan on the show, said she'd come back, but two days after saying yes, she changed her mind. And she already she actively hated how she was portrayed in the show at the time. We've seen her exit episode, Resurrection of the mm-hmm. Daleks. Um, she get knocked out. Gets by knocked out by a plunger, plunger and she, then she like freaks out, and the doctor's like, "Lol, bye." <laughs> <laughs> so in nineteen ninety three, she had stepped down from being the head of a feminist organization. Uh, she didn't like the trend of female companions being bimbos, in Jesus. her words. Um, when she was companion, she hated the idea of being something for her dads to watch. Yeah, for, I, that's yeah, that's understandable. That's I I get I completely get where she's going coming from. Like, um, but also, you know, it's it's a it's a theme yeah. that like recurs whenever we talk about classic Who. Like we just did it like a few days ago with the Terror of the Autons. You know where. Uh, John Pertwee straight up just ignores the information he's given by Joe. You know, there yeah. every now and then, Classic Who treats women very yucky. Like, yeah, Joe Grant, who by the way was basically a bimbo character to replace a female scientist. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, um, Janet Fielding's opinion in Doctor Who would change because she obviously just recently came back to Doctor Who, and she obviously records. Uh, with big finish quite often so she's at least more positive about doctor who and how her character has been written yeah well i also i think the show's changed a lot you know yeah and that's an a great thing because honestly if the show was still the way it was it would have not lasted Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Um, so during an interview with Nick Briggs, uh, Louise Jameson, who played Leela on the show, seemingly indicates that the script was much larger than what wound up on TV. Uh, Kef McCullough, who did the soundtrack of his uh, episode, said that he heard that Noel Edmonds requested it to be cut down, so he had to go back into it and recompose the music. So I'm guessing this... Um, so it's split into two parts, seven minutes each. So I'm guessing we might have been like ten minutes each. And Noel Edmonds was like, "No, no, no! I want more screen time. Give me more yeah. screen time." Yeah, I can see that being the case. And I think that's why the story doesn't make any fucking sense. I imagine it was it made more sense in the original cut. Maybe, but like, did they cut? Was there like three minutes where they explained the story that they went, oh, "This is what we need to cut. This is the thing we cut out." <laughs> 
you know uh, they didn't cut yeah. out any of the other stuff i i feel like i feel like it, just, it doesn't make sense i feel like it was just a bad script like yeah, it was so, like a, um, it's like a first draft and he went ah done like yeah. so I've read like a dozen interviews with people and they don't understand the plot either. Kef, uh McCullough doesn't understand the plot either. And John Nathan Turner had to explain it over the phone to him. <laughs> I, I wonder how he explained it. Cause I don't understand it. I don't understand how he could explain it in a way that makes sense. I can, I can like, I can get the basic idea as far as I remember, like, uh, Rani's the villain, isn't it? Yeah. Which, which is, it's your first time to meet Rani, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting introduction to the character. Uh, and Rani is doing, like, let's just imagine, like, you're breaking up time. And she's, she's like, ripped the Doctor out of time to, like, mess with him or kill him or something. And it's causing him to flip through all of his different versions of himself as he's trying to solve what's going on. Because, like, time is, like, crumbling. Uh which like that part i can like kind of wrap my head around yeah. like that feel that feels like a doctor who story it really starts to stop making sense when the companions understand what's going on and can memorize remember what a different person is experiencing god yeah and, um like <laughs> like uh, does yeah, it, we'll, the compa- we'll, yeah we'll get it to make- it but when when Leela shows up she's like oh yeah i've i've been cloned and i was in the form of romana when it happened and it I, yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, the companion really the, the companions really complicate this story. De- uh, which uh, is already a complicated story, but the the, <laughs> the way they treat the companions is really strange. Yeah. Um some other actors who didn't appear, Anthony Ainley, who played the master at this point of time, feels like he should have been involved, but he he was rumored to he said no. But he wasn't mm. asked apparently. Uh, oh. if he was asked, he would have done it, which I'm not sure why he wouldn't include the master. The Doctor's arch nemesis. Why, yeah. why Rani? Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Uh, Michael Gove was also re- uh, considered as a Celestial Toymaker, which is interesting because he obviously played Batman's butler in Batman. We just discussed Batman like 20 minutes Batman ago. Batman is very similar to Doctor Who, as we found out. So that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> uh, but Michael Gove obviously was married to Anarchy Wells who was um, Polly, who we discussed recently in uh, The Tenth Planet. A good episode we discovered. Yes, yes. Um, uh, finally, uh, John Nathan Turner screened a special in Chicago, in a Chicago convention. Uh, 800 3D glasses were sold for $5 each. Um, I imagine a Chicago audience was even more confused. Like, who <laughs> are these random characters? What, is, go- what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Like, could you imagine watching a special and not knowing what EastEnders is? I'm like, amazed they got 500 people on this in Chicago. <laughs> like, who are these people? <laughs> um, but they raised six $6,000 from screening it twice, which is a fair amount that's, of money. That's it's pretty well good. Well done yeah. on them. Um, but apparently people from the BBC accused him from stealing some funds, which is... Poor guy. It's, it's really yeah. sad. He, yeah. he went through this effort of bringing it to Chicago to make more money for children in need. And the BBC are like, nah, you must have stolen some money. Come on, pony it up. (laughs) Um, Uh, At the end of the day, he just wanted to do something fun for the show's 30th anniversary. And he doesn't care if people hated it. Well, he didn't care if people hated it because he's obviously not with us anymore. Um, he, uh, He got a lot of hate mail from his special, apparently, which is really upsetting. 
it's upsetting, but it is understandable because this is a bad episode. <laughs> um, but like, I but I say it's understandable. I don't understand hate mail at all. Yeah. Uh, mm. I like. I think I don't understand the thought process behind hating something so hard. You need to actively attack the creator of it. But I can, I can, like, it doesn't seem unrealistic that people yeah. would send hate mail after seeing this. You know, that seems like something that people would do. Yeah, it, it's it's really upsetting, and I I kind of feel for the guy because he was so he he saved Doctor Who so many times, and people just hated him. I I I've probably said negative things about him in the past, but I would never send him hate mail. It's just I know such a pathetic yeah. thing to do. Same with like Chris Chibnall, who obviously has received a lot of hate for Doctor Who. He, yeah, he doesn't deserve any of it. He's just a guy who loves the show and tries everything to yeah. make it good. Yeah. <sighs> did his best what you yeah. gonna do i you know it's it there's a difference as well i i think it's just people not understanding how to criticize something you know yeah. because there, there, there's a different like we're we're extremely critical of chris Tribnal. <laughs> like extreme like you can listen to mm. basically every episode of this podcast we will bring up <laughs> chris Tribnal and be like his episodes suck uh you know but sometimes we do say good things about him and he's a mm-hmm. he but at the end you know he's a human being he can write some things well he can write some things not so well sometimes he makes good decisions sometimes he makes bad decisions we're just giving our opinions on those decisions that yeah. doesn't affect our opinion of him as a human being yeah you know like, yeah, nothing we say is about him as a human yeah. being. As yeah, like he, if he if I met him, I would just like be like, "Hey, I'm a big fan of your work." I, I, I yeah, if I met him, you. I I'd be super super intimidated. I'd be like, "Oh my god, it was Chris Chibnall. It's so cool." <laughs> like, you know, he like, seems I, like such a I nice hate, guy as well. I, I hate so much of what you've written, but can we have a photo, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> because like he's yeah. he's lived the Doctor Who dream. He was in charge of the show, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I just finally, as a fandom, I think we need to be better people when we're in communication with people who work for the show. You can say that about every fandom as yeah, well. I know. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's incredibly toxic fandoms. Yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So finally, on a happier note, uh, these two parts got over thirteen million viewers. But obviously, it's because we we're packaged with like Children in Need and Noel's House Party, which was apparently the biggest show at the time. Noel's House Party. Uh, Mr. Blobby, big hit. Love Mr. Blobby. He's a superstar. <laughs> um but do you actually want to get into dimensions in time it's been an hour of the oh, do you want to get into dimensions in time all right let us begin dimensions in time <laughs> god help <Christ>. us all <laughs> i didn't set the corners for 1973 oi is anybody there if I didn't know better, I could be convinced that someone has deliberately taken us off course. Hey, so what are you doing? Hey, you're not the doctor. Yes, I am, Ace. We seem to have slipped a groove in time. Where do all these people come from? And where are we? <laughs> hey, Professor, look at this. All right, darling. Special discount for you, seeing it's nearly Christmas. Oh, wicked. Here, what do you mean, discounts? This year's been bad enough as it is without you giving things away. Don't worry about it, what? Hey, do you like that, love? Clashes. I tell you, they're going to be the rage in 1994. What's happening? Change. You, me, everything. 
It's as though someone is rooting through my personal time stream. But what on earth for? Earth? Yeah. Excuse me, my good woman, but what year is this? Oh, you! Come back here! It's just Nick to Norwich! Oh, shouldn't your Martin be looking after the stall? He's never here when you want him. Wish my Arthur was still alive. Why, what do you think you're doing? Stop messing the goods about. Do you want to buy something or what? Well, considering the quality of everything that you have, madam, I would say that your prices are rather expensive. So, the episode begins with, uh, what's his name? Noel Edmund? Yeah. Is that, yeah? With Noel Edmund yeah. reading, a newspa- reading a newspaper that has got pics of Cindy Crawford inside, which is a disgusting joke from 1993. <sighs> Cindy Crawford, I googled, was some sort of model yeah. slash actress yeah. person. Never heard of her. Uh, this joke has aged terribly uh yeah, she, did, but... she did she did a playboy shoot and the joke is that noel edmonds is looking at a 3d picture of her naked yeah and so the 3d glasses wouldn't work with a still photograph because the 3d technology needs movement for it to work so the joke doesn't make sense first joke out of the bat doesn't make sense <laughs> that makes it funny uh then he gets a like knock at the door he goes running to get it trips up and is like oh i need a doctor opens the door and oh my god there's john pertwee what a great great little god it's it's a fun fun way to introduce him noel Edmonds did this type of humor on saturday nights for nine years and everybody just watched it the whole country loved it life was hard without Life was hard without, like, proper internet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a Saturday Night Takeaway presented by Anton Deck. It's, it hasn't yeah. changed. <laughs> no, people still like crappy, crappy Saturday Night TV shows, don't they? You know? Yep. It's, they bring in so many viewers, I don't understand it. I do understand it, it's because old people live longer now. Um, like, uh, but they John Pertwee and Noel Edmund uh, give a back and forth of terrible jokes that don't make you laugh then uh, John Pertwee randomly looks into the camera he never does this again uh, like like it like cuts to a close up of John Pertwee staring down the barrel of the lens just insulting Noel Edmund I don't remember what he says yeah. calls him ugly or something um, uh, Noel Edmunds was like um, oh you're V doctor it's mm-hmm. because he took a while for it, for him to realize that he's Doctor Who from the TV show Doctor Who. And John Pertwee yeah. was like, oh, I knew he was fake, but I thought we were talking about his waist. Uh, Noel Edmonds yeah. also has the line of, uh, what am I doing in 2010? And um, am I doing serious television? And the Doctor is like, no, I don't visit Fantasyland. I travel in space and time. Uh, the joke is he 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 was presenting Deal or No Deal at the time, probably the worst game show of all time. Have you ever watched Deal or No Deal? Uh, I have watched Deal or No Deal. Uh, I but like when I was a kid, and only if it was like on before something else. Uh, yeah. And I would only I I don't think I've ever seen a full episode. I think I've seen a lot of like the end of an episode where they're like yeah. trying to guess what numbers in a box, and they're like, ah, uh, that's fifty pounds, that's five quid. That's five thousand pounds back and deal forth or for no like an deal. hour. Yeah, deal or no deal lasted between two thousand and five to two thousand and sixteen. Eleven years of just people selecting Crazy. boxes. Oh, I want number two because my granny lived at house number two. Yeah, and and yeah. I want number sixteen because I was sixteen year old once. 
I, I, I just talking about Deal or No Deal unlocked a memory for me. Did you ever play the Wii game? There was a Wii game, Deal or No Deal. No. Yeah, but it, there, there was, was a, a DVD Wii... game of Deal or No Deal as well. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. Terrifying. Um, it, terrible, probably the terrible worst. game. I've seen clips of a Wii game, um, RT game. He's an Irish gamer who plays games sometimes. Yes, yes, I, um, yeah, I know RT game. Yeah, yeah, he is hilarious. His his review of the game is hilarious. But uh, deal or no deal, <laughs> probably the worst game show of all time. It's just people selecting numbers. That's all it is. How is that riveting? How is that exciting? How is that engaging? But and it's, it's and it's, it's coming a TV back. Show. It's a TV show for like grandparents to watch when they're eating dinner yeah. and they don't know how to change the channel, you know, and they're still watching I've, it on I've, the old skybox, yeah. like with the old like blue menu <laughs> that pops up in a grid because they didn't know how to change it and they don't they don't want to call <laughs> up to it. they don't understand the new one, you know, and it's still in standard definition, uh, you know, the CRT yeah. TV where you can feel the static on it. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen twenty episodes, like probably twenty episodes of a show for that exact reason, just. At my grandparents' house, and just watching Deal or No Deal is awful. It's terrible, yeah. and it's coming terrible back show. in two thousand and twenty-three, presented by Stephen Mulhern. Who watches Deal or No Deal, man? <laughs> What's your Never. what number are you going to pick? Every episode, we'll pick a number and see how much money we're going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the episode continues as Noel Edmonds, like, uh, oh, oh, something to actually mention here. John Pertwee arriving at the door is not John Pertwee. He is the doctor. Yeah. He, he, he's in character as the doctor. And then Noel Edmonds, like, hey, I heard you've got a new program coming out, Dimensions in Time. And, and <laughs> the doctor, played by John Pertwee, goes, yes, I do. Uh, and I'm in it, you know. I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to watching it with you. <laughs> so the doctor knows he's in a tv show and he's Mm -hmm. come out of the tv show to go on to a different tv show to watch the tv show he made yeah but did he he know he was making a tv show (laughs) when he was in it or yeah god knows um this isn't (laughs) the first time a character has appeared a, a doctor has appeared in character on a noel edmonds show i think noel edmonds roadshow was made in the late 80s i think 1988, he has uh, Sylvester McCoy in character as the Doctor, and he presents bloopers from Doctor Who. So he's presenting bloopers to Sylvester McCoy as life. the Doctor of of Sylvester McCoy messing up the lines to the Doctor. I don't understand. Why, why not just have <laughs> Sylvester McCoy out as Sylvester McCoy? <laughs> because the doctor needs to watch footage of Sylvester McCoy messing up the lines. That's so weird. Uh, but Noel Edmund tells everybody to put on their terrible looking 3D glasses uh, and to prepare themselves for the greatest program ever made that they can have an influence on. That'll come back later on. <laughs> uh, we then I, I, cut it. I will say the idea of 3D television is fun in this way because, you know, if you don't have 3D glasses, it's, it looks two-dimensional. I think, that's a, I think that's an interesting way to go about 3D technology. It never obviously works, but it, it was, it's, it's a good theory in practice. I was in, hind, um, in theory, I guess. It's not... I yeah. don't know. I don't know what the saying is. <laughs> 
I don't know why they did it. I just feel like it was a waste of time and energy. Um, but <laughs> but uh, put on your 3D glasses now if you're listening because, <laughs> because we are beginning the actual episode as we cut to space where it looks yeah. like a space station is about to get sucked into a wormhole. But don't worry too much about that as we're then cutting inside no, it, Ran. No, I've... Is that Rani's TARDIS? That could be Rani's I, TARDIS. Ran, looks, I, th- I assume it's Rani's TARDIS, but yeah, I don't know why like she wants her TARDIS. like a weird fire hydrant kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know why she wants her TARDIS to look like a fire hydrant. Um, <laughs> but inside her TARDIS, there are disembodied, decapitated, 3D plasticine heads of the first yeah. and the second Doctor. They are terrifying. Although, yeah. to be f- right, they match the likeness pretty well. Yeah, like it, you, it looks you can, pretty decent for a no-budget thing. Yeah, you can tell that's the first Doctor, and you can tell it's the second Doctor, and they're, like, floating around 3D, and the I, the idea behind this is that Rani's already captured the mm-hmm. first and the second Doctor. Um, Pickled in time, just like a gherkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what she says. It's a great line. Um, um, so, uh, going into Rani's TARDIS, they... TARDIS console luckily had just been renovated for a convention a few months prior, but the console room set no longer existed, so their initial plan was to create a miniature and shoot the actors in front of a green screen. Oh, that uh, would have looked great. Beca- <laughs> but because the camera had to keep moving for the 3D effect, it would have looked pretty rough. Um, yeah, it we just looked like did, autons, yeah. Yeah, we just did a story, Terror of the Autons, which had terrible green screen backgrounds for the entirety of it. Um, mm-hmm. So then they decided to contact Andrew Beach, who had built a console room replica for another convention. So a lot of this, what we're seeing, is just built by fans of Doctor Who, which is nice. Uh, the floating yeah. heads, the floating head models, were created by Sue Moore and Stephen Mansfield, uh, the two people who created the Hermivores in Curse of Fenric, another episode we re- we covered last year, which the Hermivores looked kind of. Good. I like I like the design of the Hermivores, but I don't think the lighting for them was quite right. Uh, Rani has a sidekick in this TARDIS, and Ian McKellen was supposed to be Rani's sidekick here, which would have been really that, interesting. That would have been insane. That would have been a mental get. Like that would be an insane, insane casting uh, for uh, of a course, nothing character as well. Yeah, but of course, Ian McKellen would appear in the show properly in The Snowman in 2013, 20 years late. 30 years, no, 20 years later. Um, remember when he voices the snowman in the snowman? The snowman is a solid okay episode. I haven't seen it since it aired, so I have no memories of it. Apart from uh, Clara smacking the doctor on the bum when she's climbing <laughs> the ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spooky snowman. Uh, but after Rani's basically chatting like she's gonna kill the doctor or do something with him and then we cut to the intro and the intro is the best part of this episode it's super sped up super funky it's 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 crazy there's like yeah. a robot singing at the end it's it's really cool it's, <laughs> yeah. it's extremely 90s yeah just a robot starts beatboxing at the end of it apparently and <laughs> um, David Roden who obviously wrote it was friends with Pet Shop Boys and asked them to recreate the theme song but they weren't available um David Tennant was also a fan of the Pet Shop Boys. You can tell this because David Tennant took his acting name from Neil Tennant, who was one of the Pet Shop Boys. So that's interesting how things go full circle in Doctor Who. That is, that is, that is, yep, everything, everything's related to everything. Uh, um, then cut- so, so, sorry, uh, one of the actors who played an alien in this episode was apparently in a band called Cybertech. 
and okay. he was like, Good oh, I, 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 I made this mixtape of like Doctor Who inspired music, and John Nathan Turner was like, that's perfect for the episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it and it is it's it's fantastic uh and we then cut to tom baker who is standing in a netherless void full of shapes like it's <laughs> it's like the it's like the 3d dimension in the simpsons yeah you know like the same thing <laughs> yeah where there's just weird shapes everywhere uh and he's definitely not reading a script in front of him that would be yeah. crazy uh, <laughs> as he's talking into what looks like a picture of a microphone. It doesn't look like a real microphone. Mm. Um, and he's basically just explaining the plot where he's like the first and the second doctor have been taken by Rani. Uh, my other doctors are in danger. Oh boy, I hope they're all going to be safe. He, he, to me, it seems like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Tom Baker definitely does not want to be there. He's only there because it's obviously for charity. Um, if you know the story behind the Five Doctors, he infamously doesn't want to be appear there. Uh, this is technically his last time playing the Doctor on screen because when he returns in Day of the Doctor, he's not playing the Doctor. He's playing the Curator. So this is technically the last appearance we've seen of the Fourth Doctor on the actual TV show itself. Mental. (laughs) That's crazy. There's um, there's a lot what, there's a lot of last appearances in this special. Yeah, uh, what do you think of the fourth Doctor's costume? Because I think it looks fantastic. I love. I this think costume. yeah, I like I like the burgundy red that it is. It's very it's very cool looking. Yeah, it it, it looks like um what uh, the fourth Doctor wore in season eighteen, but it looks like it's just been enhanced and it looks it looks really good in Tom Baker here. Uh, Tom Baker turns his face. And it, he reveals he has a question mark shaped bruise on the side of his cheek. <laughs> and I don't yeah. understand why. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. No idea. And, and it's it's so subtle as well. Like you can like barely yeah. see it. Like it's just it's just like a little like you can blink and you miss it. Tiny little you know, detail. John Nathan Turner loved the question mark motif, so this is why mm-hmm. I, I guess. Um, every actor who had the question marks motif hated the question mark motif. So I imagine John, uh, Tom Baker was very angry to have his tattooed on his face, basically. Yeah, um, but as he's, as he's talking about the first and second Doctor, we see their decapitated heads flying towards the camera uh, into space and into the wormhole. <laughs> Yeah, which I'm sure means something to somebody. Um, <laughs> could you could you imagine being high and just watching a decapitated head of William Hartnell flying towards you in 3D? Uh, that I I can <laughs> not. I I'm not someone that's ever done drugs. Yeah, true. Uh, you're you're a pretty square dude, aren't you? If if you if if you're looking at me right now, you'd be able to tell. <laughs> That I I've never touched a single substance in my life, um, so I I don't even know what it would be like to <laughs> to, to to I couldn't possibly imagine. Um, so sorry I can't I can't, I just I have nothing to add to that I just I, I it's, it's like an, it's like an impossibility for me. Uh, so the episode continues. Uh, so we we cut to Rani, um, who is talking more gibberish. Like we're gonna get the doctor now. Let's fire it as TARDIS, and she like shoots a laser beam at it or something, and that causes the TARDIS to land in the 1970s as the uh, Sylvester McCoy yeah. comes out instantly also, fantastic as the doctor and ace as well um and also uh the rani um reveals that she has 
a Cyberman inside of Roundels. And also yeah, a, and a time, lord. time Lord. And yeah. I, I don't understand, I guess. Just move past it. Just move past it. Just <laughs> keep going. Because they're not they're not gonna tell you and they're not gonna it's never coming back, so just keep going. Uh I mean I mean so, they technically do come back because they attack all the doctors later no, on. No, but they so not, not that one, not the one trapped in the TARDIS. Like I, that <sighs> one's just on display, I guess. I don't know. But why uh, hire a second doctor to play a time lord? I don't understand. Who knows? Uh, who knows? But uh Sylvester McCoy comes out of the TARDIS with um ace and the both of them are fantastic together they're instantly just likable and lovable as these characters uh i love sylvester mccoy stepping out the tardis in front of a very british looking boat going ah china Uh, (laughs) (laughs) god it just Uh, makes you wish you could see more of the seventh doctor and ace because it it just seems like we've just never stepped away from the show it's just instantly back into character and it's perfect mm-hmm. they're so great together uh and then they realize that they're not actually in china they're in 1973 somewhere in england then the screen gets all weird and suddenly ace is with colin baker's doctor instead uh and you know colin baker pretty much has a grip immediately on something going wrong uh he's like no i'm still me we're just getting messed with right now ace don't worry about it uh and they start walking through a uh, market, which I assume is in EastEnders. Yes. Um, and Ace starts to try on a jacket and starts chatting with, I assume, to be EastEnders characters. I don't know. Yep. <laughs> I've never watched an episode of EastEnders. Uh, <laughs> I think I recognize them, maybe. <laughs> I, I only recognize one dude, and he comes in part two. Um, and then the screen glitches again, and now it's John Pertwee and uh who's the redhead what's her name mel mel and mel yeah i'm i know mel she was in uh jody's episode um john pertwee and mel and john pertwee is like mel's like what's going on and john pertwee's like oh they're changing you and i don't worry we're still it's still you and i (laughs) what what that makes no sense mel is mel is still ace what like like the doctor i get the doctor the doctor makes sense the doctor is one person in different people's bodies because his body changes ace and mel are two separate human beings yeah um yeah i i I don't i i've seen this probably like 50 times over the last 15 years or something and i've never understood what the fuck is going on especially with the companions how does this make sense it makes I don't no understand. The, compa- the companion stuff makes no sense. It makes the whole. It crumbles the entire yeah. semblance of a plot that, like, uh, of a coherent plot that they were trying to make because the when companions understanding and having a shared consciousness, yeah, complete gibberish. When when Leela comes along near the end of the episode, she's like, "Oh, I've I've been cloned, but I was in the form of Rani. I was in the form of Romana." And I don't understand. I just don't understand. But then, when Susan appears in a bit, she's like, "Who are you? Where am I? You're not. You're not. Yeah. You're not my grandma. You're not my grandpa." And it's like, "Yeah, what? That makes no sense. What's going on?" <laughs> uh, so the companions are aware of a switch, except for Susan, for when, who's yeah. too dense to not understand a switch. But sometimes, to be fair, that's companions... accurate for Susan. Like. But when we meet for Romana later on in part two, she's in a different location entirely, away from the Doctor. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's 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 just it's just gibberish. They were just adding in companions to add in companions. 
and they mm-hmm. didn't think too hard about it. But the doctor and uh, Mel start chatting with some uh, ladies. Uh, it goes on like a little bit of a back and forth, and then they're like, "Wait, what year are we in?" And they go, "2013." Yeah, uh, which. Uh, it's obvious like i could tell just by looking <laughs> that this was 2013 it was when everybody um, was like let's all dress like we're in the 1950s again you know john pertway saying madam what year is this and the reply of 2013 <laughs> is like the most remember memorable line from this whole special it's like my favorite <laughs> line for some reason i just love it it's just so it's it's so weirdly delivered it is, it is it is very weirdly delivered uh speaking of things that are just strange in this episode we then cut to a lady talking about the assassination of um kennedy uh, she's like i think it's because they were set because uh kennedy yeah. must have been he was what what year was kennedy assassinated sometime in the kennedy 60s. was assassinated on the 22nd of november 1963 the day before doctor who premiered yes yeah, so, so this is set in nineteen seventy three because the lady goes, Oh, it was ten years ago that he got he got he was killed. And the other lady's like, Ten years ago already? Oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, okay. But I, I know nothing about EastEnders characters, but I'm pretty sure that's Peggy Mitchell, who also made a cameo at the end of series two to the David Tennant episode Doomsday mm. as Peggy Mitchell on EastEnders. We're sitting around watching EastEnders. And if you remember, it's the episode with the ghosts and Peggy Mitchell yeah. turns to one of the ghosts and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, get yeah, out yeah, of my yeah. pub. So in, in in the universe of Doctor Who, EastEnders is a television show, but it's also yeah. a real location. I mean, these characters also, are real. Also in the universe of Doctor Who, Doctor Who is a TV show that the Doctor is aware of that he's on. <laughs> and sometimes he goes and watches his TV show with other people on a TV show. Uh, so one of my think- theories is... Um, this episode takes place entirely within the land of fiction, which is from the Mind Robber, where the Mind Robber traps the Doctor in like Rapunzel, mm-hmm. in like in like the Book of Rapunzel. So I think maybe the Mind Robber is involved somehow, and maybe I would, the Mind Robber. I can, I can dispute this. I can dispute may, this. No, maybe uh, the, maybe no, the Mind no, this Robber. Doesn't work. It, <laughs> this doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because at the start of the episode. John Pertwee said he didn't deal with fantasy. He didn't do fantasy tales. All his stuff was based on time travel and real science. He does not do fantasy gibberish. So it can't be. This has to be set but in the realm of reality. He does not do fiction. He does not go into fantasy. But maybe the, uh, the whole Noel Edmonds part is in the land of fiction. Or maybe the Doctor is fiction in that scene. No, he's not. He says he's the doctor. He's he remembers doing everything. You know, it's <laughs> there's it it doesn't work. This is a canon piece of Doctor Who. This is <laughs> God. Uh, we then cut to, to uh, Colin Baker walking with Susan, which is a very pleasant surprise, and somehow the last time we've seen Susan on screen. Yeah, maybe, hopefully not th- forever. Hopefully, she actually does come back at some there point. There is rumors. There's there is rumors, rumors that she might return in because um 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 Russell T Davis did a winky face mm-hmm. <laughs> on a post I- talking about Susan. <laughs> I I really hope I really hope she does because we need. Like, just to say goodbye to the character properly mm-hmm. and to you actually have her on the modern version of the show. You know, because you when Susan made her come back in The Five Doctors, Peter Davison basically says, oh, hi, Susan. Anyway, what, what are we talking about? 
Like, he completely ignores Susan, even though when Susan laughed, there's a big deal about it, because, you know, the doctor uh-huh. makes a whole speech of, one day I shall come back, and it, it's like, we've never seen one of the best speeches, fruition, one of the best speeches in Doctor Who, like, yeah. Yep, we don't. Yeah. It's very sad, but Colin Baker's walking with Susan, who's very confused where everything is. She's confused that Colin Baker isn't William Hartnell, even though she should understand what regeneration is because she is a Time Lord. Uh, but <laughs> we then cut to um, Sarah Jane yeah, dressed as Mario. And also Time Lords recognize each other through regenerations as well. Yep. Uh, so we then cut to Sarah Jane just uh, dressed as Mario uh, <laughs> walking down the street as like a really realistic looking train drives by. I don't understand the point of the train. Why did they add that in? That just feels like a waste. Uh, the, the train is to show over in the year 2013. It's, it's a nice little touch to make it more futuristic because otherwise, you know, it's just... It's, it just, yeah. No. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's I like- not 2013. Yeah, I like uh, Sarah Jane's outfit because if you remember in The Hand of Fear, she's basically dressed in like Andy Pandy dungarees. Yeah, <laughs> and, yes. Uh, and Liz Sladen is quoted as saying, you know, I like my outfit in this story because it makes sense that Sarah Jane would have gone mad after all <laughs> the adventures she had. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, 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 you know, I love the, the outfit she had in that episode. I love her Mario outfit. It's great. But she notices John Pertwee, which let's just not worry about how other companions are teleported next to the doctor and she wasn't whatever <laughs> uh as as she walks down the street with john pertry and he's like just basically giving more exposition mm-hmm. that they're getting transported 20 years from 1963 uh 70 the show started. Mm-hmm. No, it's 1973, 1993, and 2013. Jesus Christ. Uh, that's basically <laughs> all the information we get from then. We then cut um, to Rani. So sorry, I interrupt you. Uh, Liz Sladen had... So Liz Sladen was apparently sick all over the set of EastEnders. Um, she had eaten some bad prawns the night before. And whenever she watched EastEnders after this, she just laughed to herself because she's like, ah, I, I, I puked over there and nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Amazing. John Pertwee was very difficult on set. Um, he had difficulty remembering lines. And if you ever see the bloopers, he most of the bloopers are on him. So it's mm. quite sad to see. Because John Pertwee is usually very good with his lines. And here he's struggling, apparently. Uh, he kept on calling, uh, saying Liz instead of Sarah. Uh, when Liz was sick, he apparently turned around and said, Oh, Liz always does this. Which made her very upset, which is understandable. Yeah. Like, uh, she, he was apparently very rude about Wendy R- Richards' appearance, who played uh, Pauline on EastEnders, and she's like, and he was like, "Oh my God, Pauline looks terrible." It's like, oh Jesus. <laughs> like, I, I guess you know. I guess he's just he was just a grumpy old man at this point. Yeah. You know, or, I mean, or that, on that on that day, he just didn't want to be on set, didn't understand the story, wanted to yeah. go home, <laughs> was tired. You know, he's like what in his like mid seventies right now, and mm, this yeah. when this was getting filmed. So, you know, I I it's not, like I can get him not remembering lines in his mid seventies. You know, yeah, like, you know, like Hartnell couldn't remember lines, and he was like fifty. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's quite sad to hear John Pertwee being quite difficult. If you ever read, um. Uh, Elizabeth Sladen's bi- autobiography 
John Pertwee was a difficult person in real life. You know, he was lovely one minute. He, he was kind of, I don't know. He, he sounds very difficult sometimes, so it's sad. Yeah, it is, but oh well. Uh, we then cut to Rani and her friend very briefly as they're like, ha ha ha, the doctor's such an idiot. He's never going to figure out what's going on. Send the aliens. As suddenly aliens start invading everywhere in EastEnders land. Uh, and we cut then to the fifth doctor, A, uh, as he's running around with... Is he with companions in this one? He is. Which companions are yeah, he with? He God, is the camera's with going Harry so fast. and Nisa. Yes. Uh, who are two companions that I don't remember. Uh, but hey, oh, I'm glad they're there. Uh, and this is the bit we ha- where the... We haven't covered a Nisa episode. We've covared Perry in this uh, Colin Baker Cyberman episode. She's yes, also going to be I remember in... the name. She's also going to be in Caves of Androzoni, which we're covering in May. So look forward Exciting. to that. Exciting. Um, uh, so yeah, basically every Doctor Who villain appears here. Um, yes. There's even a Time Lord. Except for Vitalik's. Except for Vitalik's. Um, that is true. So if you ever look at the behind-the-scenes footage, you will see there's a Dalek on the set. But Terry Nation apparently refused for use of Vitalik. So my theory is, they showed the tape to Terry Nation said... Would you allow us to use Vidalix in this story? And Terry well, Nation no. was like, I, I don't understand what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Uh, please don't have me involved here. Uh, never call me again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and the aliens don't do anything. They stand in windows. Some of them are very clearly puppets in the windows. And they're yeah. just kind of walking down the street chasing the doctor. This is where the camera actually gets pretty interesting because it becomes handheld and we're following the doctor running through the streets and we start spinning around him as he's talking with these two people from EastEnders, which, as you um, said, is for the 3D effect. For me, it makes me feel of a student movie that's watched too many like spielberg films and are trying yeah. to recreate it uh but it's um, a cool I think, effect, you know i i think the woman they stop is pat butcher i think no idea that name means nothing to me you know <laughs> uh, the famous character pat butcher she died in that one episode of beastenders all right i know literally <laughs> nothing about eastenders so uh and then we continue, they continue running on until they get, like, trapped. Uh, I guess they just kind of stop at a fence. They're not even really trapped. They're just like, oh, yeah, no, they get locked in. Um, as they get, like, surrounded by various different monsters throughout Doctor Who's history. And Rani shows up and she's like, we're going to kill you, Doctor. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, and that's the cliffhanger for part one. Yeah, um, we- Rani's apparently been just drinking a few pints at the queen vic yeah she was just in the <laughs> pub like and yeah. apparently her gun was fallen to bits and was dropped on the day of a shoot and had to be super glued together which doesn't surprise me <laughs> brilliant absolutely brilliant uh we then cut out of the tv back to noel edmonds as he's like <laughs> oh by the way you can influence next week's episode by calling up these numbers uh and voting for who you want to help save the doctor is it mandy or big ron Mandy is some dorky looking little girl, maybe like 10 or 11 years old. Big Ron is a uh, old dude with a cool looking beard, and no <laughs> hair. Uh, and when I saw this, when I saw Mandy or I saw Big Ron, I was like, Big Ron's got a win. Why would anybody vote for the boring girl when they could vote for somebody called Big Ron? Like, yeah. I don't... <laughs> like... 
Yeah, we did actually. We did actually shoot the two endings. There's um, behind the scenes footage again. A big run saving the day, and um, so calls cost thirty nine p a minute, and they raised over a thousand pounds with this phone line, which is a was a huge number. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's a huge number, especially for it to happen overnight. You know. Yeah. Like there was one day that this the lines were open, and so that's that's pretty impressive, uh, and that is where the episode ends for part one and then we begin part two you to put on your glasses if you bought your glasses everybody here in the great house kindly put on your glasses there we go lovely so mandy will be helping the doctor in this episode for the benefit of you who missed part one this is part two and the evil rani has got the five doctors in a time loop <laughs> it better be worth it to look this stupid doesn't it <laughs> Where were we? Where were we? The story so far. The evil Rani has got the five doctors in a time loop in the East End. Will the evil Rani win out against the Doctor and Mandy? Or will the Doctor survive to fight another day? You decided! Episode 2 of Dimensions in Time begins with the conclusion to the vote for Mandy or Big Ron, which is hilarious because the, eff- the like effect they've got for the vote counter immediately messes up when they bring it up on screen and you see the final result before they do the big reveal. Um... I don't know if you caught that for like mm. a single frame that you see the, the final result and then the TARDIS like blanks and they go back and then it counts up again, uh, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> but uh, Mandy won the vote with 56% uh, with 18,815 votes, while Big Ron got 14,415 votes, uh, which is just a travesty. Uh, but don't worry, Mandy definitely has a huge role to play in this episode, not a blink and you miss it cameo. That would be crazy. And uh, uh, Noel Edmonds chats a bunch of crap very briefly about doctor who trying to recap what happened and even he can't recap what happened in the episode uh and then the episode begins and the entire time the entire time the audience is just basically laughing about how silly this whole thing is yeah it's like doctor who is like one of your biggest exports bbc why 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 are you making fun of your own show here it's really sad it's kind of really sad you know yeah but also hilarious uh, <laughs> uh where ranny's got the doctor trapped and she's like okay doctor i've got you now i'm going to send all the aliens away and i'm just going to chat uh-huh. to you for a minute because you're trapped and then the doctor goes i'm not trapped well he starts pushing on his temples turns himself into john pertree <laughs> simultaneously transports his two companions to turn into a different companion who then goes running up oh god to this is your first Rani. this is your first experience with liz shaw the companion before joe grant yeah it is it is yeah, my first um, experience with liz shaw so caroline john didn't understand the plot and neither did john pertley uh, they weren't told they were shooting two endings so all of a sudden a big man runs in and saves her <laughs> i'm in a young woman comes in and saves her and she's like I, I don't understand or can we just not make a pl- mind up about the plot um, she said there's apparently a missing shot where Liz should, would charge for the doctor to duck and says the scene doesn't make sense without that shot the scene so I wonder- doesn't make sense the scene just doesn't make sense because out of nowhere the doctor's turned himself into John Pertwee uh-huh. already okay that could make sense him turning his two other companions he had with him into Liz Shaw uh-huh. makes zero sense. Liz Shaw then going, 
oh, I'll just gonna I'm just gonna beat Rani up and bombing yeah. it towards Rani makes no sense. John Pertwee hiding behind a fence <sighs> is uh, <laughs> makes no sense. And then I, a I, tiny girl, a tiny girl running up, being like, "Oi, leave her alone!" and pulling this. <laughs> off Rani, which somehow saves them and summons Unit to come in and drive and save the Doctor makes no sense as well. Then none of it makes sense. That's gibberish. um, (laughs) I I think the intent here is supposedly uh, Liz Shaw is being mind-controlled and that's why she goes across the street, but she's fighting the mind-controlled that makes uh, no. That doesn't, that just, it doesn't make sense either. It, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It's just bad. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but yeah. But yeah so Mike, Mike Yates comes in and Bessie, and apparently when no, sorry, it's I think it's not there. It's either Mike Yates or Benton. I always get those two mixed up. But John Pertwee was apparently upset with Richard Franklin for stolen Bessie's engine, and oh, no. he was also apparently upset with the third Doctor was acting cowardly. In this special? Yeah, hiding, hiding behind a fence, not going up and using yeah. his karate. Yeah. <laughs> it's understandable. I'd be upset as well. Uh, yeah. But the, that's like the, one of uh, the last things. Uh, sorry, that's one of the last things we see the Verge Doctor do on the screen. Just hide behind yeah. a fence, basically. <laughs> yep. Uh, and they drive up to a helicopter that's got the Brigadier in it. Uh, John Purdy runs up to it and as they get out Colin Baker comes out of the helicopter uh, which is as you said the only time on screen we see Colin Baker and the Brigadier together which is yeah. crazy and they both look so old um, yeah. for, for <laughs> Colin Baker it's only been like seven years or something so yeah um, I would say John Purdy ages the best out of his special he lo- obviously looks much older but he still keeps his he still looks like the Doctor, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Nicholas Courtney was very happy to finally work with the Sixth Doctor, but was terrified about being in that tele- and in that helicopter. I almost called it a teleport for some reason, because there's so many teleporters in this episode. And he was terrified <laughs> about being in a helicopter with no doors. Uh, Courtney had vertigo, and with a helicopter weaving and ducking, and the cameraman telling him to lean further out of the helicopter... Uh, he was just terrified about the whole ordeal, and he, Nicholas Courtney went straight to the pub afterwards. I imagine he went to the Queen Vic <laughs> and, and got yelled at by um, Peggy Mitchell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we then cut away to a random EastEnders scene. I don't understand the point of this scene, where the one guy from EastEnders I recognize, which is blue shirt, bald dude, uh he's like if you search eastenders he's i guess he's i guess he must be eastenders like he's called eastenders and like the show <laughs> revolves around him or something um but he's like yeah, walks no. into this i think his name is phil 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 i know his phil last name. eastender eastender no. <laughs> phil eastender um, phil mitchell right his, his name is phil mitchell and every time the show trends on twitter his character appears in the thumbnail yes, and, it's, yes. and it's the same shot of him looking disappointed and in a cafe every fucking time. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, is he just in a cafe every episode, just disappointed about what's going on in the plot? I assume uh, but, every episode is, is the same episode on repeat and people that watch soaps <laughs> just don't notice. 
Um, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, these two Eastenders go to a garage, and uh, Lala Ward as Romana is here for some reason. She's yeah. away from the doctor. The oh, yeah, somehow she got away from the doctor. But the only thing I could think that she's in the garage is because it kind of reminded me of the first doctors. You know, the like shed where the TARDIS was in mm. an unearthly child. That's what I that like reminded that, yeah. me of. And Junk, so I was like, yeah. maybe yeah, maybe that's why she's there. Um, <laughs> God knows, um, but um, you know who who came along to the set of EastEnders with Lala Ward? Who? Her, her her husband at the time, Richard Dawkins, which is so weird to think of him on the set of EastEnders. Richard Dawkins, the atheist dude? Yeah. Huh. Lala Ward was yeah. married to Tom Baker for a few years, and then she went on to marry Richard Dawkins. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that information. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, Richard Dawkins had sex with Mr. Garrison on South Park. I wonder how she feels about that South Park episode. Probably fondly. Uh, I don't know. I haven't <laughs> thought about Richard Dawkins since I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we go... Uh, we cut to... Uh, well, she, Romana makes a terrible Doctor Who joke and then she's walking past the pub and she gets dragged into it uh, which makes a man I- in a hat rub his nose and go, hmm, I've never seen someone get dragged into a pub before. Ha ha ha. Comedy. Um, uh, I kept on missing when she gets dragged in because as she's being dragged <laughs> in two characters walk right in front of the camera as she's being dragged in. So for the longest yes. time, I just didn't see Romana's... Uh, sorry, um... I didn't see Verani's hand come out of the door to grab her. I, I just, I, I don't know what I thought. I just imagined she went in. I don't understand why they have two characters walking in front of the camera at that point. Speak, speaking of things that I don't understand, suddenly the doctor's <laughs> on a boat and he's getting yelled at by a lady. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, is, he is on the boat for the TARDIS lad in front of him. And he is with Victoria, who re- we recently saw in The Enemy of the World. Famously, mm-hmm. Victoria did a lot in that story, and she does a lot here. As she asks the doctor, "Who was that awful woman?" And then she yes. walks down the stairs. Uh, Deborah Bothlin do- had just broken her arm the week before. She shot. She shot this, and she had to walk down slippery steps with one working arm. So she was brilliant. terrified for the entire just shoot. Brilliant! Yep, absolutely brilliant. Uh, they go into the TARDIS, and out of the TARDIS comes Sylvester McCoy, and this is where things get really weird because then Rani's TARDIS also arrives. Uh, and out of that TARDIS comes... God, which companion's this? Uh, yeah, this is... Leela comes out of it, and then she starts talking to the Doctor <sighs> about how inside Rani's TARDIS is a bunch of cloning machines, and she mm-hmm. got cloned, but she got mm-hmm. taken by Rani when she was in the form <laughs> of... Rana? 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 Whatever her name was. Romana, when she was taken in the form of Romana, which means Leela and Romana are the same person. Yeah. Okay. Somehow, I guess. Because but which is different than than the because in the companion that was just with the doctor, the Victorian lady, she she she's not Leela or Romana, but she's also nowhere to be seen anymore. She's but just kind of vanished. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it, it, but it apparently just... the Vrani's plan is to clone a bunch of humans and to alter the course she's of got, evolution. She's got she's got the she's got like every species in the universe except for humans and she's gonna yeah. just manipulate the manipulate the universe to her whims, which I feel like if you've got every species but humans, you can already do that. <laughs> <laughs> um so talking about Louise Jameson as Leela in this scene, she had two kids at this point and refused to wear the minimal clothing that Leela wore in the series. If you ever see a picture of Leela, she's basically pretty much in like you can see her belly button the entire shoot. It's it's interesting choice of clothing for Leela. Because she's basically like a caveman. She's like a space cave woman. <laughs> right. Right. And she's so we originally gave her an outfit. Quote unquote for the dads. My god, she's showing a lot of yeah, cleavage. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Uh, so we originally gave her an outfit that looked like a sack, like a potato sack. According to her, it looked it made her look like a lump of potatoes. Uh, Sylvester McCoy loved working with her and even said that when he was younger he'd often tune into the Leela episodes purely because he found her attractive which is interesting because I didn't know Sylvester McCoy was a Doctor Who fan beforehand but I guess he's not technically a fan of Doctor Who he's more of a fan of Louise Jameson he's a fan of Leela yeah Yeah, yeah, but uh, this continues to not make sense as they uh, walk into the TARDIS to get some tools and then suddenly they're not in the TARDIS anymore and Ace is back, no longer Leela and also K9's here and there's a bunch of cables <laughs> and technology everywhere uh, I, I, honestly it, it happens so suddenly out of nowhere and the Doctor's spinning and twisting the dials and then he connects with all of himself all the different versions <laughs> of himself and they all like chant a saying and then that causes Rani's TARDIS to explode uh, which frees the first and the second Doctor's disembodied heads from the wormhole. And then the Doctor's like, you can't get rid of me, I win. And goes into his TARDIS and the show's over. You know it what makes, you sounded it like makes, there? It, you know what you sounded like? You sound like a five-year-old when he's trying to come up with a new story. <laughs> and, and the five-year-old is yeah. like, I'm in a Cyberman, I'm in a Seventh Doctor's there, I'm in Ace's there, I'm in K-9's here. <laughs> And it, it just it just never ends. It's just a list of things at this point. Uh, <laughs> yes. So yeah, K9 is here and he apparently worked completely fine during photo shoots and rehearsals. Wow. And he immediately yeah. started falling apart Perfect. when the camera started go. rolling. That had to be pulled by string for the final shot. That's K9. That's the K9 I know and love. That's there that's our boy. Uh my god. What a garbage episode this is. It makes it makes zero sense. Like God. Like it's, I'll give it. I'll give it one thing, right? It wastes no time. It flies by. It's seventeen minutes, and it will be over in a blink. Uh, other than that, <laughs> it it it's bad. It doesn't make sense, yeah. and it's it's really bad. It's funny. It's funny how <laughs> bad it is. Like it's so bad that you could enjoy it, but <laughs> like, just Christ. atrocious. Just atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Oh, and uh, um, YouTube is automatically playing Time Crash, which is a much better Children in Need special where the Fifth Doctor and the yes, Tenth Doctor yes. meet. I remember like, watching, <laughs> I watched that one live. I watched that live. I remember watching that live. You know, that's like 15 years apart. Like, yeah. it's oh mental to think about. Only 15 years passed between that. But yeah, uh, Dimensions in Time, absolutely terrible. It's, it's more of a novelty thing. But, you know, imagine being a fan in 1993... You know, you're waiting for Doctor Who to return, and you get this. Yeah, a I'd be so upset. With these standards. 
I'd be so upset. I not only a crossover with EastEnders, a crossover with EastEnders that has nothing to do with EastEnders and is incomprehensible. Like imagine being a fan of EastEnders and finding out you're getting an extra special, and then this is what you get. Mm. Like, what the fuck? Like you're just upsetting everybody. It's, who was this made for? Like you know they don't. don't yeah. th- this is just it's just terrible. It's terrible on every single front. Even the people involved don't know what it's about. It is garbage. Yeah, absolute it's, garbage it's it, imagine if this was the last piece of doctor who had ever, was ever produced like what amazing. a way to go out that yeah it's just it's embarrassing but at the end of the day it made a lot of money for children in need so yeah it was for, it was a, good, one positive. It was for a good cause you know yeah um and i would I, I definitely wouldn't have sent any hate mail to t- uh um john nathan turner because that's pathetic but <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> back to that again somehow we made a two-hour podcast on dimensions in time my friend a 17 yeah. minute special from 1993 a crossover of standards it'll be slightly less than two hours once like once mm. i cut out the, the the 17 minutes of us watching the episode you know it'll be like an hour 50 <laughs> an hour 40 something or something like that but yeah, way longer than it should be way longer than it should be to talk about <laughs> something that is less than 20 minutes long and this this bad uh, it is also currently 1 a.m. that we are recording at. I am so tired. So, you can find us Yeah, um, t- sorry to interrupt. Uh, we've been podcasting for like four hours at this point. It's, it's been a long <laughs> evening for us. It has. We've mediocre done... Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, not even good Doctor Who. Uh, a lot of talking. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to sleep. Um, I've got so much editing to do tomorrow. But we have got... You can find us on Twitter. I'm falling apart. You can find us on Twitter at Watches Doctor, on Facebook at Who Watches Who. Uh, this podcast is available in video form on YouTube at Watch at Who Watches Who. YouTube.com slash at Who Watches Who. It's also available in audio form wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Who Watches Who or click one of the many links in the description. There's also links on our social media pages that will take you to the RSS feed, the Apple Podcast page, the YouTube page, everything like that. You can leave a comment below or send Send us an email at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com with your thoughts on Dimensions in Time. Is this the best episode of Doctor Who ever? I think so. Uh, and we will read it out next week in our News Roundup podcast. Uh, and and you know what else is happening in just two days from now, from when the episode has been uploaded? We are actually meeting the stars of Dimensions yes. in Time. We uh, are. I am. We are. Uh, you yeah. are, you are you're meeting, meeting the one Paul person McGann. who was fortunate I'm, to not be yeah. involved in this production. <laughs> yes, because uh, this this Sunday uh, is Comic Con in Aberdeen, and me and Scott are going to it. There's a lot of classic Hugo in there. I'm super excited. Also, kind of nervous to meet Paul McGann. Going to be a great yeah. time. Going to get a photograph. Going to have a wonderful jam. Uh, just hyped. Just hyped for it. Um, but next week we are recording our news podcast. It's been another quiet month for Doctor Who, so I don't know how much we're going to have to talk about, but. Until then, bye bye.